Welcome everyone to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure where every JoJo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 46 and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, who will be the judge. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime, so you've been warned. The internet is dying today. Dying. So many issues. So many. You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? (laughs) What are we going to do? (laughs) Patreon is down right now. I keep trying to reload it. Um, Spotify has not been working correctly with their um, their embed code and the listen counts. It's just like things are freaking out probably because Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter and the world can't process that. (laughs) Anyway. This this is like uh, there was a meme long long time ago that you share it was when instagram went down it was like the early days of instagram and there was a photo that was captioned instagram is down just tell me what your food looks like that was yeah that's a classic that's that's a very (laughs) early meme we're going way back with that one yeah the way that you're reacting to everything on the internet being down just reminds me of that meme it's like what happened to the, the the good old days of when we were like internet free and we would go outside and play and stuff like that? When we now, would touch grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- those days are long gone, apparently. But uh, we do have JoJo that'll keep us going. As cheesy as that transition is. <laughs> yeah, to are... keep us inside and yeah, go to, to keep... TV screens. <laughs> to keep us sane or maybe insane, we can turn to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And with this episode comes the introduction of Kakyoin. Good old cherry loving, no, cherry licking, mother loving <laughs> Kakyoin. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But before that, really quick, um, we've shared this a couple of times, but wanted to um, put out a reminder that we will be hosting a panel at Anime Central 2022 in Chicago. So for anyone who's going to Anime Central, who's in the Chicago area and is considering going to the, the convention, please uh, please come see us. It's technically under Strictly Anime, our other podcast, but we're talking about waifus. We're, we're doing Waifu Wars, the tournament arc. Who knows? Maybe a JoJo waifu will sneak their way into the roster. We'll see. I can think of one. <laughs> but either way, it's going to be a good time. We're super nervous, super excited because it's our first time hosting a panel. So yeah, if you're if you're gonna be at the convention, please uh, please join us. It'll be a good time. And for anyone who's not familiar, Anime Central is the biggest anime convention in the Chicago area, and it hasn't been around for the last couple of years because of the pandemic, like a lot of conventions. So we are super excited to be returning after two, three years of not having two the con- years because they hadn't had one for twenty. They hadn't had a physical one for twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. But I know a lot of people are. Really excited to be back in the ASUN space uh, with their return next month. Yeah, super, super excited. Um, so yeah, join us. It would be awesome to have you there. Now, going back to this episode. Um, Actually, I do have oh, oh, oh. A, one piece of JoJo news <laughs> that um, I wanted to share from last week. Uh, this was from the Twitter account Sugoi Light. Uh, they're known for like posting about anime leaks and, and inside scoops. One thing that they posted about, um, let's see, when was this tweet dated? April 19th, 2022, which is one of my best friend's birthdays. But <laughs> that aside, uh, they tweeted out that uh, the anime JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean, uh, Netflix worldwide distribu- distribution of part two, which is episodes 13, through 24, they are speculating will be released on September 1st, 2022. Do we know how factual that is or how much of a rumor that is? Because I, since you shared that with me, I actually haven't seen anything about that on Twitter. I haven't dug into Reddit um, in the past couple days, so maybe they're talking about it there. But I'm just wondering like, how speculative that is. Yeah, I mean, we should probably just take it with a grain of salt. Granted that this is an account mostly geared towards leaks and scoops, but I mean, it, it seems like it's within the time frame that they were aiming for part two to be released. 
which I think people were speculating fall. So September kind of makes sense. Is September, is that summer or fall? The, Isn't that summer, technically? Isn't yeah, it like, like the, Q3? Towards the I mean, end of summer, I would say. Like Q4 is October, November, December, which is the fall yeah. season. So I wonder, well, yeah, then I wonder like how that's going to show up on Mal and stuff, if that's technically considered a a summer anime or a fall anime. Yeah. Although I guess a majority of it, if this would have been released week by week on like JoJo Fridays as they were traditionally, uh, it would, a majority of it would fall within the fall season. That's that's weird. I just feel like you're, okay, small rant, I guess. You're already doing weird things, Netflix, with batch releases and quite a bit of time between these cores. And then you're doing like an off-cycle release. And typically when when that happens, anime anime hype and, and numbers tend to suffer if like a, a show releases too late into a season. Granted, it's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, so maybe that'll have really like little to no impact on it. I'm sure people are going to watch either way, but it's just interesting that they would choose kind of like an off-cycle release date. But whatever. It is what it is. We'll keep you guys posted on that if we get more confirmation around that. But um, it's nice to have like a, a tentative date of when it might release. Yeah. And now that you mentioned Netflix, just a quick aside. Uh-oh. I know recently Netflix, uh, they posted news about like their stock prices falling, their number of subscriptions also falling, which I'm kind of glad for. Because it's like they're shooting themselves in the foot and they're getting their just desserts for how they've treated the JoJo community with the the batch release for part one of Stone Ocean. Well, I'm sure it has more to do with like other things than like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. You know, I like to think, though, that JoJo is a small contributing factor to the plummet in Netflix subscribers, maybe as a reaction to how they're handling everything. But, yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I saw an article, too, that Netflix is, like, slashing their animation budget because of, like, how how they've been performing financially. That just highlights how much they really do care about these anime shows it's i guess it's just a a dollar sign to them rather than something really fruitful i need to get a better understanding of like what qualifies as like a netflix anime or a crunchyroll anime my my very rough understanding is that they've just bought the rights to stream that show exclusively um but that doesn't mean like if in this case if netflix is cutting back animation budget i don't think that necessarily means that the anime won't be made it's just they're not going to have exclusive streaming rights because it is misleading when they say a netflix anime a crunchyroll anime i think sometimes they are actually producing their own stuff um maybe that's when it's like a crunchyroll original i don't know i need to do research on it but either way i would hope that this won't impact jojo's bizarre adventure too drastically they've probably already got a contract in place with them oh yeah but that just shows how much of a priority they place on that genre compared to whatever else they're streaming yeah um yeah it's interesting but it is what it is i guess we're just gonna have to muster through more batch releases so now moving on to this episode the second episode of stardust crusaders and again it is the official introduction of cherry boy kakyoin what do you think about this episode what were your initial thoughts rewatching it after a pretty big gap since our last watch yeah i'm trying to think back to when I first saw this episode, I think from that viewpoint, this episode, it establishes how deadly and terrifying stands and stand users can be in comparison to like the Hamon users that we've seen in part two. And this is essentially the first instance of the formulaic stand of the week episode that we all have come to know and love from JoJo. And, yeah, it was a great introduction to the first proper, I guess, antagonist of Part 3 since uh, Avdol wasn't really Jotaro's enemy in Part 1, and neither was Joseph, of course. They were just trying to get him out of jail. Uh, And even though we we know now that Kakyoin isn't the protagonist moving forward, like like I said, it's still very harrowing seeing another like another stand user with an uncanny ability with hierophant green 
but watch rewatching this episode now i started to see like a bit of an inconsistency with hierophant green's abilities in retrospect i don't know if you also got that same vibe again seeing it now through this rewatched lens oh hell yeah yeah that's a that's a big uh rocky forgot moment is uh like pretty much the core of what hierophant green is doing in this episode which is possessing another person we may get that again at some point but really it's not prevalent it's emerald splash like that's that's what that's what mm-hmm. hierophant green does yeah there are other instances that'll bring up in our discussion where like these are the only times we see kakuin or hierophant green use these things and that once he has a change of heart and sides with the soon to be named stardust crusaders it's like the the abilities are no longer existent yeah um yeah it's it, it is what it is with with iraqi and changing things up like that but it was a cool introductory episode and you're right i didn't really think about it but he is technically the very first enemy stand user in all of jojo's bizarre adventure yeah and i think like it goes in line with the tradition of certain characters in jojo first starting out as antagonists and then eventually becoming protagonists although that's not that's not turned friend type of thing yeah uh we don't see that here in episode two although that becomes um, a major thing for the next episode so we'll save that obviously for next episode's discussion with that all said and done court is now in session so i'll rise for the synopsis and discussion for part three episode two who will be the judge Jotaro be trippin' as he resumes his daily routine of berating his mother and the harem that follows him on the way to school, but he really be trippin' as he crosses paths with new transfer student Kakyoin, a mysteriously nefarious redhead with an emerald is unbreakable stand ability, Hierophant Green. As Jotaro visits the school infirmary to treat a wound from his walk to school, Kakyoin has his stand take control of the nurse to attack the jockey juvenile Jojo, but not before he plants a big one on the nurse to pull the enemy stand out of her facial orifice. Despite the internal injuries that he and the nurse have sustained, Jotaro summons enough strength and saintly sensibility to send his own stand against the sinful student, judging him according to the laws of catching the star-platinumed hands. Jotaro leaves behind the ungodly mess of his school's infirmary to play hooky and take an unconscious kakyoin back to the Casa de Cujo, where Joseph reveals that due to the detestable tentacle sticking out of his forehead, the rambunctious redhead is not a seafood connoisseur, but in fact, one of Dio's deranged disciples. And now on to our next segment of the show is that a music and or tarot reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So this one was really interesting to look up and research. Uh, I think the only real reference in this entire episode is with Kakyoin stand Hierophant Green, which is in reference to the Hierophant, the fifth card in the tarot deck derived from the historical card known as the Pope in playing card decks, which finally explains, like, I, I never knew what the word Hierophant mean or what the word hierophant meant. I always thought like elephant because of how similar the word <laughs> sounds. But I guess hierophant is sort of like a like a, a, a religious figure um, like with a, of authority. And so this kind of makes sense with why Kakyoin's musical theme is called Noble Pope. It's, oh. Yeah, it's, it hasn't been used yet in in this part of the series i think it'll be more prevalent whenever kakuin takes center stage in upcoming episodes but it's one of my favorite soundtracks from stardust crusaders and yeah it it didn't dawn on me why like it was called noble pope until i read more about what hierophant was that's clever i like that and i agree i think kakuin's theme song is probably one of the best out of part three i really enjoy it anytime it comes on yeah so i I'm sure we'll, we'll gush over it once we hear it properly in part three. Um, another thing to kind of point out with this connection to the Hierophant, uh, again, with mentioning the Pope, in Catholicism, the Pope 
traditionally serves as the intermediary between the church and God or between humanity and deity. And if you notice at certain points in this episode, Kakuin has this scarf, this white scarf. And sometimes he, he won't wrap it around his neck, but he'll just wear it uh, lying flat across his, his body. Sort of like a, it's called a stole, which is like a priest's vestments. It's just like a, not a, it's a, like a linen that also just wraps I around like the, the neck. like the stuff you wear at graduation here in the States. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Th- those are also called stoles. So yeah, if anyone's familiar with that, that piece of cloth. Um, and I guess also c- connected to higher fans, like emerald abilities in the Christian tradition, an emerald symbolizes resurrection or birth into a, a new and purer life, which I think kind of hints at Kakyoin later transferring his allegiances from Dio to against Dio and fighting with the Stardust Crusaders. A um, couple more things about the Hierophant. Uh, Hierophant stands for tradition and convention. It can represent marriage in an arranged setup. It can also mean a teacher or counselor who will help in learning or education of the querent. Um, so marriage, it doesn't really make sense for Kakyoin. Um, unless... It does because he's he's on deck to marry right. Holly. <laughs> right, Should gonna... she divorce Jotaro's dad, who's always on the road playing jazz music? <laughs> right. So uh, you can interpret it that way. But another explanation I found is that in many modern card packs, or I guess tarot packs, the Hierophant is represented with his right hand raised in blessing or benediction with two fingers pointing skyward and two pointing down thus forming a bridge between heaven and earth. So this is another interpretation where you, instead of marriage, you can consider the Hierophant representing a bridge or a connection. I want to say this is in relation to Hierophant Green's long-range abilities as a stand, with it not actually being a a body, but like a a series of, what do you call it, like like membranes, I think where it can stretch out as far as it can because of its long-distance abilities. I also interpret it with Kakyuin kind of being this first mutual connection between Jotaro and Dio since Kakyuin is introduced as one of Dio's like lackeys or disciples in this episode. Yeah, it's there's a lot of... uh... A lot of things that play into Kakyoin's personality too. I mean, he's he's kind of the straight man of the group alongside Avdol. He's kind of the the person who brings the team together when they're kind of in not going astray, but more so like when the group just kind of needs that guiding voice um, to point them in the right direction. I mean, we all know what happens to Kakyoin in the end, and it's because of him and his sacrifice that they're able to defeat Dio in the first place. Um, also, like, the baby stand stuff, right? Like, it's just uh, you, there's a lot of times where Kakyoin just seems to be the most level-headed of the group. Um, and so that kind of, I think, lends to the things that you described. But it's it's almost as if Araki did his research with these yeah. tarot cards and how he developed the stands <laughs> and the characters. <laughs> no, it's just very cool and interesting piecing these things together. And, again, I don't know if there's a grain of truth with what I'm researching, but it all seems to tie together the more you think about it. Uh, With Kakyoin's name himself, I didn't find any music or tarot basis, although Kakyoin is the name of a town in one of the wards of the city of Sendai in Japan. So Maybe some connection to Iraqi in that way? Possibly. But, yeah, nothing at least music or tarot-related. Well, that is very interesting and very informative. Complete opposite of what I'm about to go through, which is the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new meme that appears in this episode. And uh, one of the best memes that's also just a really brain-dead meme (laughs) is Jotaro with a complete hat on, which is the Mm. only time, I think, in the entire series that we see him with a complete hat and then it just begs the question of like, what the fuck happened to his hat? When did it merge with his hair? Why does it look the way it does when he takes it off? But uh, it's specifically when Holly is talking about Jotaro when he arrives home with Kakyoin slung over his shoulder. She looks at a picture of him and that picture, for some fucking reason, shows Jotaro <laughs> in a complete hat. Like an actual, like a, like a full-on hat separate from his hair. And 
there's just no context around it. It just is. It it just is. Do you think it's because Jotaro had worn the hat on his head for so long without taking it off that it just started to form as a part of his body? Yeah, like, just I know fused together. <laughs> yeah, there are certain animals in nature that also have that kind of trait where something sticks to their body and it just incorporates itself into them what the fuck <laughs> i'm pretty sure there is like a like a hermit crab or something like yeah. burrowing its way i mean that's not fusing is it or maybe it's like does their body expand in whatever they burrow burrow into that's what i thought i'm, oh. I'm not a jotaro marine biologist yeah but... <laughs> yeah jotaro would know the answer to that <laughs> but yeah there you go that's the only meme that i caught in this episode but it's a, a pretty important one it's one that that goes unnoticed sometimes but yes it is jotaro in a complete hat and i will share a picture of that um in the discord so be sure to check that out let's move into op because we do get yes. the op for the first time in episode two and this is probably one of my most favorite OPs out of all of JoJo. Uh, the song is Stand Proud by Jin Hashimoto. It's cool that it's, or I love that it sounds so much like a, almost like a 80s hair metal song because it fits within the timeline of when Stardust Crusaders was. When it took place in yeah, the late 80s. It, yeah, when it took place. And I guess when the the actual manga was written, uh, so it has that very strong '80s vibe, um, rampant throughout. And lyrics-wise, like I looked up the translation, it's almost similar to like a bard. Uh, if you think of like the Witcher, the bard from The Witcher, like bards are musicians who kind of recite stories in their songs. So. This one, it's like uh, a bard reciting the epic journey of the Stardust Crusaders. Um, the opening line is like, and so all the Stardust gathered together, called upon, waking after 100 years. Uh, and also it just goes on to talking about the destiny of the Stardust Crusaders fighting against evil. So I guess it's them standing proudly against the evil force being deal that has awakened after on 100 years. Yeah, I love this OP. It's not one of my favorites, or it's not my favorite. Um, I think that that goes to Crazy Noisy Bizarre Town from part four, but this is definitely one of the, the top ones. It's one of the most iconic, you know, among the JoJo openings. It's a powerhouse, and it's perfect for Jotaro, who also is kind of a powerhouse himself. I love the manga colors appearing at certain moments in this OP. The drums, like the drummer is doing fucking work in this OP. Mm -hmm. It's he, he, he or she is just going hard, and I respect that. And for the longest time watching this OP, I kept thinking, who's the fucking weirdo with the tall ass silver hair? <laughs> I'm like, oh, who is God. this guy? Because <laughs> Polnareff doesn't get introduced for several episodes, but he shows up in this OP in episode two. And I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> like, at least Kakyoin, like you, you get introduced to him right away in episode two. But then you're like, who the fuck is this other guy with no eyebrows? Yeah, I think the first time I saw him, I was thinking of not Jack from Tekken. Who's the other uh, character with the blonde hair that's like also um, a flat top? Paul Phoenix. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's who I thought Polnareff was was like. <laughs> yeah, that that hair, man. I can't wait till we. I can't wait until we get introduced to Polnareff and we can talk all about his hair on his head and the hair missing in his eyebrows. But uh, I, I do want to call out a fun video on YouTube. It's one of the things, one of those videos I love to rewatch over and over again. And I don't know the full context of it, but I think Jotaro's voice actor, Daisuke Ono, and Rohan's voice actor, I don't know his name. Let's see what the broken internet has to say. <laughs> yeah, look that up for me while I, I uh, find this link. But anyway, the... Rohan is voiced by... What is this? Voiced most times by Takahiro Sakurai. I don't know why it says most, most times. times. What the fuck? Um, well, yeah, th those two voice actors, I think, were 
on some, I don't know if it was like a podcast or if it was um, like a TV show or whatever, but I think that day was Daisuke Ono's birthday or right around then. And that led into them doing karaoke. And for anyone who doesn't know, Daisuke Ono actually does a lot of singing. I think he was Barney. I think he voiced Barney and did all the singing yeah, for Barney. Yeah, the Japanese voice for Barney. Yeah, so he's got like a singing background. And I guess at some point he decided to sing Stand Proud in Jotaro's voice. So it's basically Jotaro singing Stand Proud, but he's doing it in a way where it's like clearly Jotaro has no singing ability. And there's something about this that is just so fun to me. I, I love when they kind of put characters in really like unique situations that you'd probably never see in the anime, but you get to kind of see it outside of that because they embrace their characters. So if you want to hear Jotaro singing Stand Proud, um, in a real uh, real shitty manner. <laughs> we'll drop a link to that in the Discord so that you can listen to it. I think what sells it is they put the karaoke microphone sound effect too. Where yeah, with it the echo. reverberates. <laughs> yeah, and then coupled with his, his great uh, attempt at poor singing. And then you hear Rohan's voice actor in the background just like laughing. He's like, say oda oda, say oda oda. And then he starts doing the oda oda. Yeah. It's just, it's so <laughs> funny. I love watching it. I'm going to watch it like 10 times after we're done recording this episode. Um, yeah, we'll share the link to that. And this episode does start off with a recap. I do want to call that out. Oh, there's a couple more things I wanted to say with the OP. Oh, oops. Okay. <laughs> uh, some interesting visuals. You have the opening one, which is a shot of Jonathan going to Joseph, going to Jotaro. There's one thing that, that connects all of them visually that I thought was cool. I, I've been saying cool a lot this uh, episode. Is that Jonathan and Joseph are shown wearing the tactical gloves with the hard knuckles. And then when it transitions to Jotaro, uh, when Star Platinum appears, you also see... I think we talked about this last episode. The tactical gloves, but they have like multiple hard knuckles on them. Uh, so a nice clothing connection between the three jojos that we've seen so far in the anime uh there's a shot of five stars that are streaking across the sky i didn't catch this like even though i've watched this op many times uh i, I realized there's five stars because it's representing the five stardust crusaders of this part right there's five jotaro joseph if you don't Abdul. count iggy yeah oh yeah because yeah iggy, iggy wasn't introduced until, until part or part two of part three. Uh, yeah, jo Jotaro, Joseph, Abdul, Kakuin, and Polnareff. Um, and then you have that vine shot, which I think that would look like a, a interesting back tattoo for any like hardcore JoJo fan. I really like that too. And I think that somebody stitched that together. I don't know if we can find it, but um, if we can, we'll post a, a copy of it. But someone did a stitch so you could see the full um, the full vine shot. I think it's got like Holly at the top. Because it's hard to tell at first who's in that image until you like pause it. Oh, I do. I did find it. Oh, you did? Send, send me a link. Send me. So yeah, <laughs> I could have just looked that. at this photo, but oh, I was shit. like, uh, I was pausing every now and then just to catch who was on this vine. So it's Holly at the top, of course, because she's the one that's affected by the stand. Or we'll see that she's affected by the stand and develops a fever because of it. Followed by Lisa Lisa, um, Erina, then Joseph Joestar, then Jonathan Joestar. Or Joseph's wearing his like pilot's uh, cap, I guess you'd call it. Jonathan is actually cradling. You can see Dio's blonde hair, although his face is obscured. Uh, then you have George Joestar and then Jotaro at the very bottom. Okay, but where is George Jr.? <laughs> well, <laughs> Where the fuck is George Jr.? <laughs> he's, he's off, um, I don't know. I mean... He never played a part. I don't even know. Did he have a voice actor? I can't remember. No. So I, I guess so. I could see why they didn't include him. But like you literally have everyone else except for George Jr. <laughs> why not just add him in at that point? Um, He was too busy flying his player. Right? You know Whatever. what? Okay. <laughs> the um, I don't know what that is. Okay. Between Lisa Lisa and George Sr., there's like a tuft of like, like brown something. Do we just assume oh. that that's that that's him? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's just it's his hair. That tuft of hair. <laughs> that's all the credit he gets. We'll just we'll just pretend because you even have the stone mask in the background, but you yeah. don't have George Junior. Like I feel bad for the guy, so we're just gonna we're gonna say that little tuft of brown underneath Lisa Lisa is uh 
It's her husband's hair. <laughs> they just put a star over his face probably because they didn't want to animate that. Like the guy didn't do much, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a lot of interesting shots in this OP. Uh, also see the, in background shots, there's some of the upcoming stand battles, like the one with the, I think it was the orangutan on the ship. And then the, the cable car with the infamous uh, cherry licking scene. And then the, uh, one of the the sun, which is one of my favorite stands out of part three. And then you have like a spiral of tarot cards symbolizing the, the significance of the tarot card deck in part three. And just throughout the OP, of course, we are introduced to like a barrage of Star Platinum's furious punches. Like when it punches the logo setup at the beginning and then at the end when Star Platinum is punching the glass that has Dio's reflection on it. Yeah, I never noticed um, that they had some of the enemy stand users infused there. Probably because like a lot of anime OPs, they're obviously spoiling the story to a certain extent. But with JoJo OPs in particular, there there's like such a visual assault that you probably can't pick up. Like the 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 human mm -hmm. brain can't process the information that fast. So they're like, well, we're still technically spoiling it, but it's all happening so rapid fire that the viewer won't notice unless they pause. I feel like that's what happens with me because I did not know half of that. Yeah. This is what happens when you overanalyze things. So. <laughs> but hey, that's what we're here for. That's what we love to do. Now we can continue okay. with the episode discussion. <laughs> so yes, it starts with a recap. And I'm like, this recap though, why? Um, and then it goes into uh, Jotaro starting his morning, heading off to school. And Holly runs over to him and says, oh, you forgot something. And the thing that he forgot was a morning kiss from his mother. A goodbye kiss, sending him off. And he's like, bro, stop clinging to your child. <laughs> he like pushes her off. He's like, stop, you're annoying. And then she's like, okay, hi. <laughs> Actually it reminds me of an incident, not an incident, but like a occurrence that I had with my mom when I was in grade school. We told so, her uh, to stop clinging uh, no. to your child. <laughs> like, like she was dropping me off and then she's like, aren't you going to give me a kiss on the cheek? And then my friends were in ear within earshot and they all started laughing at me but I did it anyway. Oh, <laughs> because you're a good boy. Jotaro <laughs> does the complete opposite here. I think he says, you bitch, then stop. He says, stop clinging to your child. Already. Yep. Uh, he like. does say that. <laughs> and we, uh, we get the first instance of his infamous line, yare yare daze. Yeah. Oh, it just starts the just whole trend perfect, from there. Yeah, perfect delivery. The next Daisy scene Ono. is my favorite part of the episode, which is um, the the flock of, of girls fighting over Jotaro and him just not giving a shit at all. It's a great parallel to, or rather part four's introduction for Jotaro is a great parallel to this episode because you have the exact same thing when Jotaro gets reintroduced to the story where he's fighting with Josuke and then uh, I think he punches him and then there's blood and the girl starts screaming like, oh my God, blood. And he turns around and says, Yakamashi, you're fucking annoying. <laughs> and that's literally what happens here. I mean, there's no blood in this situation, but he turns to them and says, shut the fuck up. You're so damn annoying. And I just, I love that they brought that back for part four, just to remind us like, yeah, Jotaro's older now. And I think at that point he was married Yes. I can't remember if he had um, Jolene yet or not, but either way, like he's more mature, but he's still the same Jotaro that we know and love. And I think this is the second instance where he says, shut up, you're so damn annoying. The first one was when he said it to his mom yeah. in the jail. So <laughs> I guess this kind of establishes that Jotaro, he's not just being terrible to his mother he's like an equal opportunity insulter I guess. <laughs> he just doesn't <laughs> like annoying people in general i think um and it's weird hearing all of the girls call him jojo because i forgot until we started rewatching it that yeah for the first several episodes they do call him jojo but then they start to just transition to jotaro the logic that has been discussed is oh it's just easier to call him jotaro because joseph grew up being called jojo but no one in the group calls him Jojo. They call him um, Joestar-san, Mr. Joestar. So I, I guess it's like a, a, a clean way of describing or explaining why a Rocky transitioned from calling the, the protagonist Jojo to calling them by their first name. It could probably get pretty confusing down the road. Um, but mm -hmm. it was just kind of, uh, it was like a little bittersweet, right? We're, we're losing that Jojo name 
or it's not as prevalent, but we're also being, you know, we're establishing that these are very different characters, even if they are from the same lineage. I mean, you always get that. It's sort of like a, a little cameo when you hear the the nickname Jojo in subsequent parts. But I always found it more interesting with Araki coming up with the names for each Jojo protagonist and how it kind of fits within the Jojo moniker. So obviously it, this part, it's Jotaro Kujo. So you have the Jo and Jotaro and the Kujo. Um, and Josuke, of course, in part four. And then Giorno Giovanna. So I'm not like, it is bittersweet not getting to hear Jojo so much. But I think it's even more fascinating just hearing the names that uh, Araki comes up with. Yeah, I like that it didn't, like the Joestar name didn't continue because Joseph had a girl, right? And then she marries a guy and takes his last name. But there's still a way, to your point, that he's keeping the Jojo in there. Even with Josuke Higashikata, it's something about the way the kanji is read that could lead his name to being Jojo. So yeah, I, I agree. I like that. There's still that Jojo essence infused in these situations but also introduced in the scene is kakioin the cherry looking mother loving wide mouth having original member of the donut gang he is here <laughs> he has arrived and he is the enemy stand user and honestly they made kakioin seem way more evil um and, and like overpowered than he actually was for this episode it's just because of the little tentacle squid thing on his head that's making yeah, him so sinister then we find out it's this... like a buff from dio it's making him stronger yeah <laughs> it's unlocking all the potential of his brain power um but yeah Araki forgot because i don't know i guess kakyoin can cut jotaro using a paintbrush and his painting and then we literally never see that again yeah so this was the first instance we're rewatching this so i was like that would have been a cool thing if like Kakyoin stand was like in, infused with him like using these art tools or tools yeah art tools art equipment because uh, you have the, the painting here really grotesque painting of Jotaro by the way and then later on he uses a, a marionette um, to kind of control the nurse so those are just total throw-offs of what Kakyoin stand really does and my other question here is once he slices Jotaro's knee, how come Jotaro didn't see Hierophant Green at this point? I don't think it's Hierophant Green doing it. Who would have done it then? I I, I just think it's an Iraqi forgot moment. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that feeds into it because you would think because Jotaro can see stand abilities, he would be able to see the stand ability or the stand chop at his or slice his knee. Yeah, okay, I think logically, yes, you would assume the only way Kakyoin is able to cut Jotaro's knee on command like that is if Hierophant Green, you know, slithered its way to Jotaro and, like, cut him, you know, stealthily. Yeah. Um, but we, you're right, we don't see that. I mean, that's probably intentional because you wouldn't want the, like, his stand's introduction to be ruined by right. seeing him in that moment. Um, but I like to think that it's just an extra power <laughs> that he got for that one moment, just for that one moment. And I do have a question as well, which is, how long was Kakyoin working on that painting? How long has he been stalking Jotaro? All right. Because it was a complete painting and very detailed and very, like, you know, well done, I guess, subjectively. How, how long has he been staring at Jotaro? Has he been watching him, like, in his window or something and well, painting he, this painting over several days? He had the easel set up, so he would have been in place doing it unless he was just moving the easel every yeah what i like to think is like blocks. he's been stalking jotaro like watching him and then slowly developing this painting and then when he's ready to make his introduction he like sets the easel up for like a really dramatic mm -hmm. like introduction but it doesn't even matter anyway because jotaro doesn't even see him until he gets to the bottom of the stairs <laughs> so it's he's just being extra just because he's under dio's influence and that was quite a dramatic fall down the stairs it oh, reminds yeah. me of um Handsome Squidward's fall, or like <laughs> when he was doing like a dramatic fall towards the ground <laughs> in SpongeBob. Honestly, it's almost as if Jotaro got launched in the air when he got his knee cut. Because then you see like as Jotaro's falling, you see the staircase in the background kind of like swirling around as he's turning. And he's pretty fucking far from the staircase. So mm -hmm. in my mind, as I'm trying to logically, you know, put 
these steps together no pun intended it's like he got cut in the knee and then got thrown into the air and then just started like spiraling down to the bottom until he was able to grab a tree branch and like break his fall i have no other way of explaining it but yes it was a an extremely dramatic fall no wonder those girls were freaking out it's an example of scenes in jojo that are way more exaggerated than what they would be in real life <laughs> right <laughs> and then kakyoin makes his appearance he introduces himself to jotaro and hands him a handkerchief which actually has a similar pattern to hierophant green or like emerald splash i just noticed it had kind of like geometric green shapes on it oh okay the other thing i noticed fabric wise is how has kakyoin's scarf gotten so long that he can wrap it around his arm and then it returns to its normal state when he's not, when it's not wrapped. He doesn't even have it beyond this scene. Like once the scene is over, he never wears that fucking scarf again. Oh, well. <laughs> the last thing I noticed about this scene, and I think it it was prevalent maybe in the previous episode, but this is where I, I first really noticed it. And it has to do with sound design. Um, the sound choices that David Production had for Kakyoin and Jotaro's outfits make them sound like they're wearing full leather outfits. When Kakyoin turns around and walks away from Jotaro, you hear the sound of like leather, like moving. And I keep thinking these are these are Japanese student like uniforms. I don't think they're made of pure leather. Why do they sound like they're walking <laughs> around in like leather pants and a leather jacket? Because it's metal. It's 80s metal. I just, it's so weird. Like that, that sound effect, although it sounds amazing, does not match what I envision their clothing to be made out of. Who knows? Maybe they are actually wearing all leather outfits. I don't know. Hot summer day. Hell yeah. I mean, in a future episode when they're on the boat, I think uh, Avdol comments on the fact that the two of them are wearing their full student uniforms and asks, like, if they're going to be hot. It was either Avdol or Joseph. And they're both like, well, we got to stay in uniform because we're good Japanese students. Maybe also just because they have such ripped physiques that like the clothes are so close to their bodies that it causes them. The fabric to creak. is being stretched to yeah. its limit, trying not to explode off of their bodies. Oh, one more thing I noticed about this, and this was a, a meme for like a hot second on the Shitpost Crusaders subreddit. It's when Jotaro is falling, you get a like a split second image of his abs. And for some reason, that made its rounds like back in the day when I was first watching JoJo and everyone's freaking out because they're like, this is the only time you can see Jotaro's abs is when he's falling. And someone, of course, paused it and like put that screenshot everywhere. So if you want to see Jotaro's abs, go go pause it during his uh, his dramatic stair fall. Yeah, I'm sure it's great fat material. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, moving on to <laughs> other great fat material, Dio. Dio is shirtless uh-huh. as we get um, another scene of him in the dark. And he says a bunch of stuff about, you know, if I hadn't stolen Jonathan's body and had his energy, I never would have would have survived in the ocean for 100 years. This body is like the bond between parent and child. And we get a really cool image of part three, Jonathan, followed by George Jr. And then young Joseph, who then transitions to old Joseph. And then Holly appears. And then we get Jotaro. And I think it's so cool. Anytime that they acknowledge the Joestar lineage, I just think it's it's really fun. Um, and it is interesting to see all of those characters in part three art style. I didn't even notice that. I mean, I, maybe I just didn't take a note of it. <laughs> it's really fast. Like it just, it, it pans across the screen as he's talking about that that bond between parent and child. Um, and you just see it happen really fast. But it's it's worth pausing and looking at because it's kind of interesting seeing Jonathan in part three style and seeing George Jr. Because he got mm-hmm. gypped in the OP. He wasn't really in that image with the vine. So I guess this is where they're they're giving him credit. Yeah. Just a nice incarnations. Is that a word? Incarnations? Versions of these Incarnations? <laughs> yeah, of these characters in the different uh, art styles of each part. Um, I think we also get a, a silhouette of Enya at the or during this scene. We do, yeah. She's Very hiding briefly. out. She's just watching him have his... Uh, watching him talk to himself and be really dramatic as he touches Jonathan's body that his head is attached to. <laughs> if you just like think critically about the situation that we're watching, it's it's very odd. <laughs> it's very bizarre. Mm, there you go. There you it's very go. bizarre. So then we move on to uh, a scene, a quick scene between Joseph and Avdol at Holly's house where Joseph is complaining yet again about Japan, saying that the rooms are too cramped. 
um, and that the tea is blah, the tea is mid, and that he prefers <laughs> uh, coffee instead. And then he makes the coffee and he says it tastes like shit. And then he's like, this Japanese coffee is terrible. And then Abdul's like, actually, it's American. <laughs> he's like, oh. <laughs> and just, it's great that because obviously it's a Japanese studio, David Production, that's putting, or like even the Japanese writer, Araki, that's putting this scene together. So uh, it's funny. You have, I think he's English, right? Joseph. Joseph is 100% English. Yeah. But he lived, he moved to America with Lisa Lisa. Yeah. So he has this uh, really intense sense of like national pride and he's berating Japanese culture. Yeah. Even though <laughs> this is uh, developed and produced by a uh, Japanese writer and studio. But then it has this slight and a pretty viable critique of American coffee at the same time. I, okay. I think the real reason he's complaining, like, yes, it's Joseph. That's kind of been his personality. But I think the real reason he's complaining all the time about Japan is he's just salty that Holly's husband took her away to Japan. Uh, I think that's the real uh. reason. <laughs> we we all know that he doesn't hate all of Japan, hint, hint, part four, because I think by this time he had already had his affair with Josuke's mom. Mm. So yeah, he doesn't hate all of Japan, but I think he's just salty that Holly's husband took his sweet little girl away to Japan and he hasn't seen her as like she's been there what 20 years now so I think that's that's really all all that stems from and so he reconciles by doing that thing <laughs> oops okay we'll talk about that <laughs> when we get to part four you know we'll talk all about that <laughs> so then we move on to the scene at the nurse's office and she's a nice lady she wants to cut Jotaro's pants so she can treat his wound. And he's like, fuck that. Don't touch my pants. I'll take them off. And I'm kind of like, that's weird that you would rather take your pants off than just let her cut them. But I guess they can be salvaged. You get the blood stains out. You, you take it to the tailor. You can probably fix those pants. I don't know. Yeah, it, I imagine it's not that hard to just sew pants back together. Or, I mean, he's fucking rich. Just go buy some other ones. Yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> Um, I love how Kakyoin just straight up tells Jotaro that he's going to kill him via the message on the handkerchief and that he's basically an enemy stand user. Like, clearly he's a novice villain. That's not how you, you you know, catch your enemy off guard and, and you know, secure a win. He's like, nah, I'll give you a, a mad heads up that I will be killing you soon. And what timing right after he reads the message on the napkin that that's when Kakyoin... Uh, starts controlling the nurse he probably again like i think kakyoin's just stalking jotaro how else did he have all that time to make the jotaro painting so accurate he was probably just watching him through the window like all day during school and he's like <sighs> waiting for the moment that jotaro reads the handkerchief so he can just pop out strategically and be like here i am motherfucker <laughs> and how or what floor was the infirmary on was it like a second floor third floor no it was first floor because oh, jotaro just jumps floor. right out Okay. With Kakyoin so over his shoulder. Thinking like when would have when would Kakyoin have had the time to climb up this window? Although to be fair, I think in other shots when Kakyoin, we now now I want to go look because when Kakyoin is sitting in the windowsill, doesn't it look like he's higher up? Mm, let's see. Okay, we just watched it really quick. No, it is the first floor. You can tell. I think the tree line sometimes makes it seem like it's higher up, but there's shots of Kakyoin like with the window and behind them, and you can see the ground. Yeah, so I guess it wasn't all the way high up when this battle took place. So it makes sense that he's able to jump in there. Um, but before he even shows up, you get that brutal moment when the nurse, as she's possessed, sticks that pen in the discount Josuke's eye. <laughs> and not only does she stick the pen in his eye, she then proceeds to like twist it back and forth. And you can tell, at least in the version that, that we watched, that there's um, some some minor censorship that they tried to do because you get kind of that like black halo effect around the stab like the stab wound mm -hmm. but it's it's definitely not enough to to censor it which is fine i don't like watching it censored i'd rather just see see the show as it was intended so these students they weren't killed they were just severely injured yeah i mean one of them lost a fucking eye <laughs> so that that's pretty brutal um, and then again, you have another Iraqi forgot moment because Kakyoin then proceed proceeds. He has been controlling the nurse with the, with the marionette, I guess. Like, I think the marionette doesn't even play a part in it. It's just all for show. Yeah. He's demonstrating to Jotaro that he has 
taken possession of the nurse's body. Uh, although I, I don't know how he was able to possess like what she was verbally saying to him unless uh, Hierophant Green also has that effect on the brain. Yeah, I don't I don't know because we don't get a lot of this this possession type of uh stuff happening with Kakyoin's stand. I just think overall there's a lot of showmanship happening here with Kakyoin's uh introduction which could just play into the fact that he's being controlled by Dio and Dio is um very bougie at times. Here it's, you know, Kakyoin making a painting of Jotaro that he'll never even see and like setting up the easel and then like sauntering down the stairs wearing this long white scarf that we never see again and then in his actual battle against Jotaro he's using this marionette the whole time which we'll never see again and it has no effect over his stand abilities or his stance abilities so it's it's just interesting how over the top Kakyoin is portrayed portrayed in this because he's very different from the Kakyoin we'll start to know in the next episode mm-hmm we also have the only time Jotaro shows any sort of physical affection to anyone when he kisses the nurse to pull Hierophant Green out of her. And did he need to kiss her? Couldn't he just have like commanded Star Platinum to like grab Hierophant Green out of her throat? That's what's shown uh, after he plants it on her. Uh, like Kakyoin suddenly has Hierophant Green within its grasp. I don't Kakyoin know, maybe has higher Or not Kakyoin, has Star Platinum. Uh, but yeah, so the, the, does he need to kiss her to do that? Or can he no, just send Star dram- Platinum It's his own it? dramatic effect, I guess. <laughs> like, I think the idea is like he's sucking the stand out of her. But I don't know. I feel like logically uh, Star Platinum could have just done that on his own without Jotaro needing to kiss her. But whatever. I mean, maybe they're just trying to one-up each other in this battle. <laughs> And the the sucking ability Jotaro must have to pull a stand out of this woman's body. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, JoJo fans and sucking. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as I, I can never get over this every time I watch this episode, as Hierophant Green is being kind of like held down by Star Platinum, they're like up in the air a little bit, right? So then Jotaro, I'm trying to paint this picture. Jotaro then turns to Kakyoin and like starts making fun of Hierophant Green and, you know, it's like trying to like antagonize him and all this stuff. But the whole time, Star Platinum's ass cheeks are right behind Jotaro's face. I mean, like right there because the the level at which um, Star Platinum is hovering in the air puts his ass cheeks at eye level with Jotaro. And I cannot take this scene seriously because I'm like, dude, if you turn around, you're going to get a fart in the face from your own stand. Yeah. I mean, bizarre things are already happening. So (laughs) just have that visual thing. It's just also funny that they only have Star Platinum clothed in a loincloth too. It will, yeah, then you got Crazy Diamond in part four who's literally wearing a G-string. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that one takes the cake. But anyway, I just appreciate the ass cheeks in Jotaro's face. So then we get a back and forth between Kakyoin and Jotaro about who's really at fault here for the nurse getting hurt, who's evil and who's good and blah, blah, blah. And that starts Jotaro's theme song. We get the first official introduction of his theme song. I can't remember the title of it. What is it? The title is just Stardust Crusaders. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's kind of like the the first proper JoJo theme for the series. Although uh, I think Joseph had one, um, Overdrive, and there is like a, a noble theme for Jonathan. But this is one that I think is kind of like the the pioneer for all the JoJo themes that we've heard for each protagonist and each see or in each part of the anime doesn't part three have a different composer like isn't that when the, yes. the composer we all know and love actually started working yeah on the show uh i think yugo yeah yugo kano has been composing the series um since the start of part three i think it was taku iwasaki who did parts of part two um and i think he's best known for the uh the pillar men's theme <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh, i think him and another composer uh worked on parts one and two but yeah from this point onward it's uh yugo kano uh and yeah very epic in its sound it's kind of kind of has that 80s funky vibe to it you have the saxophone which i think is an homage to jotaro's father 
being a, a jazz musician. And it comes in at the right time as Jotaro starts explaining how he, he knows that he is a delinquent. He's done terrible things in his life. He's talking about intimidating a teacher and not paying the bill at restaurants if their food's really shitty. But then he compares all of that to knowing what nauseating evil looks like um, in comparison to, to his misdeeds. And I mean, yeah, how comparable are these levels of evil, really? Yeah, I mean, I think Jotaro's punkness is really just like petty things in comparison to like tearing up a person by taking over their body with with your stand and then making them stab somebody. So it's it's just interesting um, the way Jotaro describes himself. Like he, he knows who he is and what his personality is like and he's not afraid to admit it. We also get the first introduction of one of Jotaro's uh, classic Jojo poses, which is him pointing his finger at somebody. And it's really intense. Like he's really pointing that damn finger at Kakyoin. Like he's, he's giving him the business. He's being the judge <laughs> jury and executioner yeah <laughs> and then they start to actually get into their fight and i love that jotaro runs around the office dodging hierophant green but his hands are in his pockets the entire time that's another uh another classic move of jotaro's is keeping his hands in his pockets no matter what he's doing because he stays calm and collected throughout throughout all his fights uh i also love like when star platinum comes into play um, when he, he starts, uh, he grabs Hierophant Green, starts shaking him, and then you hear his aura cries, which you <laughs> usually associate with his punches. But then you hear, you see the shot of his his uh, hand, and then he's clicking his fingers into in place to make that punch. I just thought, like, that's probably one of my favorite sound effects from this episode is just the clicking as he's putting his punch into place against Hierophant Green. And as he punches him, because it's in slow-mo, you get kind of this like wind down sound and then this bang whip sound as he actually lands the punch on Hierophant Green's face. And it's just crazy. Again, another amazing moment of sound design from David Production. It's just very intense how you know, painful this this punch might be just listening or just gauging it from the sound effect that they use. And I guess this is like the first time we've seen Star Platinum like in combat action, right? Yeah, I think so. Because Jotaro makes a comment after the battle that he has a feeling that the stand is going to become more violent, which it does, but it it makes a implication that uh, like Star Platinum is going to turn on his stand user, but it he doesn't. I think it maybe it alludes to the fact that Jotaro is only going to become stronger as he goes through this journey so that he's strong enough to defeat Dio in the end, is my guess mm-hmm. anyway. And then before the, the final scene, we, we got an eye catch earlier, which was uh, the stand stats, but everything was obscured. And then here it reveals that um, the stand stats are for Hierophant Green. Uh, just to list them off, uh, with that chart, destructive power for Hierophant Green is at C, speed is at B, range is at A, durability is at B, precision and accuracy is at C, and development potential is at D. So what this is mostly in line with is that uh, Hierophant Green is a stand that has more long-distance capabilities. Um, development, development potential at D like development potential is like capacity to effectively utilize or improve your stands or the stands overall capabilities. I'm surprised it's at D because Hierophant Green pulls out a lot of strange abilities out of its ass in this episode. <laughs> um, but like I said, we don't see that later on, if I recall in part three. So I guess it makes sense. And then we move into the final scene of the episode when Jotaro returns home with Kakyoin and sees Holly. So... Again, we talked about the the meme with the picture of Jotaro in his complete hat. Holly's just, you know, taking care of the housework and saying, oh, I can can feel my son thinking about me. And she hugs the picture of him. And then he actually shows up behind her. And she's like, oh, shit, (laughs) busted. (laughs) Um, And he says, he asks where Joseph is and says it sucks having to find grandpa in this huge house. Like, bro, you're privileged, man. (laughs) You can tell he grew up spoiled. That's for sure. And there's actually a, a small little Easter egg with Holly in this quick scene. Um, 
she's humming a song as she's doing her housework. In the manga, it's the song that she's humming is The Locomotion by Jerry Coffin and Carol King. It's the like, come on, come on, do the locomotion with me. But they didn't use it for anime purposes. And instead, they use this Japanese 80s song, Aoi Sango Show, or Blue Coral Reef by Matsuda Seiko. According to this Redditor on the Stardust Crusader subreddit, um, he say, I imagine they chose this song because it seems like a relatively popular song at the time it was released, 1980. So it fit within the timeline. And most importantly, Seiko is the name that Holly insists on being called in Japan. So the nice musical tie-in there. I like that. If they can't use the original one, I like that they put a lot of thought into what would replace that song. And I never really paid any attention to what she was humming, but it's interesting to know that it's an actual song. <laughs> yeah. Get JoJo fans overanalyzing things. <laughs> and then we have Holly just talking about how deep down she believes Jotaro is a sweet boy. And then Jotaro stops and says, hey, you're looking a little pale this morning. Are you feeling okay? And then she's like, fine, thank you. And then <laughs> she's just so happy to know that she was right, that he actually does care. And that's kind of the first hint that you get at Jotaro's, not like true nature, because I think his true nature is very much on display, but the the good that he has inside of him, that he actually does have Jot or Jostar traits to him, despite being very rough around the edges compared to the last two JoJo's. Yeah, and it also is just very quick foreshadowing of what ultimately happens to Holly um, as she succumbs to like the fever caused by Dio developing their stand abilities. And I think we'll continue to talk about this throughout the part three review series, but Jotaro has probably the biggest, one of the biggest amounts of character development of all the JoJo's. I think Jolene is probably up there as well. Um, and probably Jonathan as well, even though you only had nine episodes to really go through his character development. You're, they're laying it on thick in these first few episodes about Jotaro's delinquent nature and him being not the most appreciative son. But that's going to play in to the fact that he realizes how important his mother is when her life is on the line and he's willing to risk everything to save her. And then at the end of all of it, um, you know, he just wants to get home to her now that he's protected her from the big evil that is Dio. And then in the very final moments of this episode, uh, Kakyoin is placed in a room and Joseph and Abdul and Jotaro inspect him. And Joseph reveals that he's got a bud implant from Dio. And he also says that Kakyoin probably only has a few more days to live. And in my mind, it's kind of useless if Dio's implanting a bud in his subordinates that is only going to cause them to die after a short period. Like, how can they complete their goal of killing the Joestars if they're not going to live that long after the bud is implanted? Mm, I thought it was... I didn't realize it was because of the bud. I thought it was more just the injuries that he had to sustain from the fight. Oh, but removing the bud saves his life. So that's why mm. I thought it was from the bud. Mm, or maybe uh, it, it's two factors there. But yeah... I guess it's like because just Dio treats his subordinates as disposable. Yeah, so. that's true. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see more about the uh, the nasty bud implant and what happens afterwards in the next episode. But this episode ends with no ED. Instead, we get credits rolling with Jotaro's full theme song playing in the background. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't think it's until they establish the crusade that we will hear uh, the bangles. Well, and their walk like an Egyptian song. And then see more of Polnareff and be confused as to who the hell yeah. this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next episode, we will see Jotaro suddenly become a precision surgeon. Yeah. So... And we'll see the uh, the Jobros officially form and then strike off on their big adventure. And that leads us into our final thoughts for part three, episode two, who will be the judge? So how will you be the judge of this episode? Wait, now I'm like thinking about that question. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> will you I feel be like I... <laughs> a good judge or a eh, judge. Or I will a... be a, a an objective judge of <laughs> this episode in saying that this was a very very fun character introduction for Kakyoin, mostly because of how silly and over the top it is, but I think it is perfect for the way JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is, you know, kind of presents itself. It's it's never going to give you a dull introduction for any character, whether that is a 
you know, a, a protagonist or, you know, a, a supporting character or, you know, an enemy stand user or whatever, everyone gets a very intense, over-the-top, fun introduction because that's what helps you get really into the characters and, and feel connected with them. Um, I do think that... It is a bit of a shame that some of the things that they've introduced here about Kakyoin, which make you feel like he's really cool and you immediately start to associate with him, don't actually come back at any later point. Again, with the the painting ability, um, possessing other characters, there may be instances of him possessing uh, characters later in the show. I just can't remember, um, but it's not very prevalent. Just all these things that you think like, like, okay, cool, this character has these really awesome abilities and then you don't see them again i do think that kakyoin's abilities get a little bit dumbed down to basically emerald splash throughout the rest of part three but mm. it's not to say that he's not strong and that he doesn't bring a lot of value to the joe bros but what about you yeah this was a solid introductory stand of the week episode uh, which is a formula that we will continue to see throughout part three and i guess all the subsequent parts uh you know, despite the inconsistencies that we pointed out and we saw in hindsight, uh, the thing that I just took away from this episode is I think it effectively establishes that despite how boorish Jotaro may seem in his behaviors, he still has an upstanding viewpoint on evil that continues to be carried on as a virtue from Joestar to Joestar. So again, there is a, a moral heart of gold under that very juvenile delinquent facade and i think just the thing i love the most about this episode is just hearing that yada yada does a one of my favorite things is just hearing jotaro say that throughout part three um so yeah good episode overall Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for yet another episode of Stardust Crusaders in our review series. Looking forward to talking about the next one just because I want to talk about a specific meme that I think is so fucking funny. So join us in two weeks when that episode comes out. And that wraps up episode 46 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you'll find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued.